Church, y'all are going to get kind of a kind of an East, early Easter sermon today. Uh, as a matter of fact, I may just recycle this one in a couple weeks. Um, today's, I might, I might not. Um, today's subject, though, today's scripture is going to kind of touch on a on a major theme of the miracle of Easter. In particular, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the death and the crucifixion. What happens, rather, with the death and crucifixion of Jesus? How this sacrificial act of Christ reconciles us to God. That's our word for the day. Reconcile. Reconciliation. Certainly you can see the Easter theme in that. What does that mean for us? What does Christ's death on the cross mean for us? What does reconciliation mean for us as Christians, of course, but as humankind? Period. Before we get into the theme, though, let's go back and take a look at our scripture. And if you weren't here last week, we, uh, we began... This scripture last week, we only got as far as verse uh, as the first verse, but it's Second Corinthians five, uh, starting in verse seventeen, and we're gonna go all the way through twenty one. Second Corinthians five, starting in verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us his message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become we might become the righteousness of God. That's the word of God for the people of God. Like I said, last week we only got as far as verse 17 because there's a lot of rich, rich theology and, and, and depth to verse 17. I caught you guys up um, as to exactly what was going on when Paul wrote this letter, when he wrote this letter to the uh, to the church there. And I just want to kind of remind you of that real quick. He's, he's writing this church once again. Uh, Letter again, once again, to the church at Corinth. Uh, we know that he had previously written a pretty scathing letter to that church. And we know that there is 1 Corinthians. And there was a lot of sin going on in the church at Corinth. Uh, a lot of stuff that was not only occurring within the church, but a lot of stuff that was being uh, almost applauded and welcomed to the church. So Paul wrote them a pretty scathing letter. And like I said, we refer to that as 1 Corinthians. By the time we get to 2 Corinthians, the church has, has, has pretty well received Paul's admonishment. For the most part, and they're starting to turn themselves around a little bit. Um, but some people are still questioning his teachings. Some people, there's a faction in that church that are still um, questioning Paul's teachings and questioning Paul's authority. So 2 Corinthians primarily really is a, has a lot to do with Paul defending himself. He's defending himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's defending himself as one who has the authority to teach, the, the authority to uh, share the gospel of Christ. However, at the same time, as we saw in last week's scripture, and as we're going to see in this week, that the remainder of it, beyond defending himself, he gives us some absolutely wonderful and some absolutely inspiring theology about Jesus Christ. I encourage you guys last week to take in every little word in that first verse. You remember that? To take in every little word to absorb that. In all of its beauty, to absorb it in all of its revelation because of what it reveals to us. It, it, it assures us, it assures us of what God does for us. 
into that relationship with him through nothing but faith when Jesus Christ. I read, I read, I, you know, I pointed out this or last week that this, this particular translation that you're seeing up here on your screen and the, uh, the Pew Bible comes from the New International Version. Um, but I don't think this particular translation really, really, really puts forth the depth of, of what Paul is writing here. So I quoted to you the New Living Translation, and I think it just adds something to that. I think it's something, it adds something very, very personal to this. So as opposed to saying the new creation has come, understand this is talking about you. Understand this is talking about you. You are the new creation. So the New Living Translation translate, puts it like this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That, 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 that drives that point home to me a little bit better than the NIV translation does. He makes us new people. God does for us the things that we are incapable, incapable of doing for ourselves. He literally transforms us from the inside out. He reorients us away from that selfishness. He reorients us away from that self-centeredness. He reorients us away from sinfulness towards what? Towards a heartfelt desire to really seek and to fulfill and to live out the will of God. To love God, as I've said from day one, Eric Bemis, to love God with all of our heart, soul, minds, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what he reorients us to. That's what it's talking about. This new creation that happens to us. This new creation that we become when we simply put our faith in what Christ has already done for us. Is there anything greater? I kind of drove this point home to you last week as well. And we're going to get to the rest of the scripture here in just a second. But I think all of this is worth repeating. Don't answer out loud, but ask yourself this. It's just like I asked you last week. Is there any other greater miracle that you can imagine than the ability to change the human heart? We like to talk about big miracles a lot. You know, we like to talk about these miraculous physical healings, something like that. But y'all answer yourself, answer, answer that other question truthfully. Is there any other greater manifestation of God than the ability to change a person's heart? That's a miracle, folks. And that's what this new creation is. I don't know how many times in your lifetime you've tried to take it upon yourself to change something about yourself, but I pretty well have failed miserably when I've tried to do that on my own. I don't know how many times in your lifetime you may have tried to change somebody else. <laughs> but in my experience, we fail miserably when that happens. Only thing, only person that I know that is capable of doing that, that is capable of turning human beings a complete 180-degree turn is God through Jesus Christ. It's just such a powerful statement. It's such a powerful statement. I could live in verse 17 for a long time, but I know that y'all don't want to live here. So we will, we will proceed. He follows verse uh, verse 17, focusing on what we're well, on this idea of reconciliation, specifically God reconciling Himself to us, specifically God reconciling Himself to humankind. Through the sacrifice, through the death of Jesus Christ. If you were to back up a little bit, and, and it's not going to be on the screen, but if you were to back up a couple of verses. Verse 15 says this. It says, he, he being Jesus, died for all. Okay? Jesus died for all. Why? So that those who live in him should no longer live for themselves. New creation. 
but they shall live for the one who died for them and was raised again. Then we get to our focus verse here in verse 18. All this is from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What does that mean that we are reconciled to God? These big churchy words that we like to use a lot of times. What does it mean that we are reconciled to God? A basic dictionary definition of it puts it like this. It says that that word reconciliation basically means to restore to good relations. It means to restore to good relationships. We got a problem in our relationship with God because of our sinful fallen nature. Plain and simple. How does this happen? How does God reconcile us to, to himself? We're going to get to that. But that's what it means. It means to be restored into that right and that good relationship with God. It basically means that through the death and the sacrifice of Jesus, we are able to be brought into that relationship through our faith in what Christ has done for us. Another word that kind of goes hand, another churchy word that kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of reconciliation is the word justified or the word justification. We are declared right. We are made righteous in the sight of God. Again, simply through nothing. Nothing except for our faith in what Christ has already accomplished for us. Who did the work here, folks? Who did the work of reconciliation here? It wasn't me. It wasn't you. 18, from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ has already done the work for us. He's already done the work for us. We are made righteous. We are made right and just. We are reconciled to God in our faith in what God has already given to us. You know, a lot of people, and this is going to, this might challenge some of you. And if it does, that's okay. This challenge, what we're going to talk about today challenges a lot of folks. Because we're all sinful and we're all a little bit self-righteous. So if you're challenged, that's okay. But I assure you, I'm not going to teach you anything, anything crazy or anything out there. But a lot of folks have, 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 have trouble with this. A lot of people have a false understanding that our ticket into the afterlife is based on our good works. A lot of people have this false understanding that our, that our, that our, that our, our, our ticket into the afterlife, so to speak, and our reconciled relationship with God is based on our ability to follow the commandments. It's not. Does that surprise you? Does that shock you? It's not based on that. Our relationship with God is on our ability. These aren't bad things. Certainly, you know, our faith in Christ should lead us to desire to seek these things. But that's not what saves us. Church. All of these things, all of these laws, all these commandments, all these sins, all these do that, do that. Those are all good things, but those are not what brings us into a right relationship with God. If those were the things that brought us into the a right relationship with God, if we did rely on those things, all of us would be in a heap load of trouble. I am your pastor, and I would be in a heap load of trouble. If my reconciled relationship with God depended on me doing the right things all the time, it doesn't. This is the gospel of justification that the church has accepted, the Protestant church has accepted for 500 plus years, 2,000 plus years. Let me see if I can explain this a little better. We don't earn our salvation, and, 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 and some people, most of y'all I'm sure get that and grasp that. Um, in the 
world of Buddhism, most of y'all probably are familiar with the term karma. Karma basically is something that Buddhists believe that you know you 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 get paid back in this life whatever you put out in this life. So if I put out something good, I'm going to get something good in return. If I put out bad energy, I'm going to get bad in return. And the way that they believe, they also believe in, re in uh, reincarnation. So the goal of, of Buddhist belief, the goal of Buddhist philosophy, is the more good karma I build up, the better I'm going to do. So the more good I put out into the world, um, the better things are going to turn out for me. However, I put out bad stuff, bad stuff's going to happen to me. So my goal as a Buddhist is to build up that good against that bad so that I can either, A, I can either be reincarnated into a, a higher level of being than I am now, Maybe I'm, I can be reincarnated from a grasshopper into a panda. Or I can achieve what Buddhists call nirvana, which is basically, long story short, would be their basic conception of heaven. We're not Buddhists. This idea that we are building our salvation based on I do this, I do that, versus, it's not a scale. Christianity is not a scale. We're not trying to get into heaven. We're not trying to get into God's good graces based on what we do or what we don't do or our human ability to follow the commandments either. That's not how it works, and thank God it does not work like that. Christ has already tipped the scales in our favor, church, through what he did on the cross. Evan, you talked about the cross this last week on Wednesday night. That's what he did for us, brother. We don't have to earn this stuff. And if our motivation for doing good, for doing right, is to think that we're earning something, we think we're earning our ticket into heaven, or think that we're earning God's favor, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. I'll get to that in a second, folks. But a lot, a lot of what I'm saying, about the reason I told you that story is what a, what a lot of us believe is more Buddhist than it is Christian. Justification, reconciliation, being brought into that good and, good and right relationship with our Creator is a gift. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we earn again. What did our scripture just tell us? Again, all of this is from God. It's a gift. It is a gift from God. What's the point? <clears throat> What's the point that you're getting at through all this year? The point is that any gospel any gospel that you hear that preaches Jesus plus anything to be justified or to be made righteous before God is a false gospel. Amen. Anybody, any God, let me repeat that to you. Any gospel that teaches you that Jesus plus anything. is what brings you into that right relationship with God is a false gospel. The Apostle Paul spends an entire book of the Bible talking about this. It's called the book of Galatians. Starting on Wednesday nights in a couple weeks, we're going to start going through the book of Galatians. But that's what the entire book of Galatians about is about. Because guess what? The Galatian church was teaching, was preaching, was being taught and was embracing one of these false gospels that told them they had to do something besides accept Jesus in order to be reconciled to God. 
Primarily, it was the, it was the Jewish Christians telling the, gen, the new Gentile Christians that they had to follow Jewish law in order to have that right relationship with God. You had to believe in Jesus and you had to follow Jewish law in order to get into that right relationship with God. Paul says, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, men, <laughs> one of the primary things that they were teaching at the time, and imagine yourself, gentlemen, being a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50-year-old man, Gentile man who had just come to Christ, imagine being told, oh yeah, in order to get your salvation, you not only have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. How would y'all welcome that, gentlemen? That's what they were teaching. Paul says no. Jesus plus anything in order to enter into that right relationship with God is a false gospel. Here's the gospel that Paul preached, and I've told you guys these, these, uh, these verses before, but Paul preached a pretty doggone simple gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Y'all may remember this. He writes, I passed on to you what was most important. Telling the church at Corinth, this is it. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. We're going to teach you ethics. We're going to teach you morals. Of course, we're going to teach you at some point, you know, to follow the commandments and, and to embrace the goodness and the will of God. But this is the most important thing that I've taught you. This is the gospel that I have passed on to you. That Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. That he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. That was the gospel that Paul preached. 2 Timothy 2.8, he essentially says the same thing. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the gospel that I preach. Paul had a simple gospel, folks. A simple starting point. A simple, simple thing that brings us out of that state of sin into that made right relationship with God. It ain't what we do. It ain't what we don't do. All that stuff might come later, and it should come later. It will come later. Forgiveness is free. Reconciliation, being made right in the eyes of God, it's free. We don't have to get it. We don't have to earn it, y'all. Some people think that's unfair. Y'all think that's unfair? That is the mercy of God. That is the vastness and the greatness of the mercy of God. What is required of my initial salvation? What is required? One more time, to be brought out of my sinful nature, to fix this sin problem that I've got. And to be brought into that right and perfect relationship with God, to, to embrace that gospel that Paul talks about. What's the beginning point? What's the starting point? halfway quoted this scripture to you last week. I'm going to give it to you in the fullest right now. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't see anywhere in there that says I have to do something additional or not do something additional in order for God to accept me into his arms. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith 
historical scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. It's not what I do. It's not who I know. It's not what I don't do. It gets me. It makes me right. It fixes my sin problem for me. Declaring that Jesus is Lord, believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That is the gospel of Paul. I can sum it up in three words. What do I need to believe? Jesus is Lord. If you want a concise telling of the good news of Christ, if you want to know what you've got to embrace, Jesus is Lord. It's not based, you know, being in that, being able to be in that relationship with God is not based on the sins that we, this is the, this is the stuff that rubs folks the wrong way now, I'm telling you. Being able to be in that right, in that justified relationship with God is not based on the sins that we commit. It's not based on the sins that we don't commit. It's not based on the good works that we do. It's not based on the good works we don't do. It is based on what Jesus has already done for us. And it is free for the taking. It is free for the taking, folks. It's just a matter of confessing and believing in our hearts. And y'all, please don't misunderstand any, anything that I'm saying. I, I think discipleship absolutely means embracing the teachings of Jesus and, 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 and embracing Scripture. Of course, I believe that discipleship means following the commandments to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's discipleship. That's growing in Christ's likeness. That's what we in the Methodist tradition call sanctification. That's definitely part of the gospel. But and it's part of our duty. It's a part of. It's a big part of what we do here at Venus. A big part. And y'all know that from being with me as long as you have been. But all that stuff is secondary. It's not what saves us. It's the same thing that puts me and Sandy and Daryl and Dee and Rudy and Benita and Arthur and Paulette and Georgia and Kevin and Donnie and Laura and Mark, Cindy, Christine, Jackie, all on the same playing field. Not a one of us is better. Not a one of us is worse or less based on anything that we do or don't do. It's the same reason that if I died tonight, I would spend eternity with my father just as much as that person who is strung out on whatever they're strung out on on the street corner who is suffering through their addiction who nonetheless has faith that Christ did what he did for them. That is the scandal of Christianity. That is the scandalous nature of the gospel that freaks people out. And that is the scandalous nature of the gospel that makes Christianity such a beautiful, 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 beautiful thing. And it is that aspect of Christianity that Paul here at the conclusion of our scriptures tells us is our duty to pass on to others. Therefore, in verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us because God does make his appeal through us. I don't know how you guys were brought into a relationship with God, but I was brought into a relationship with God through the efforts of other people. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, as he says in verse 18. It's ours to pass on, and we've talked about evangelism before. 
And that's what he's getting at. If I have embraced this, my God, if I've experienced this, this, this renewal, this new creation, this thing that I didn't earn, that has transformed me from the inside out, why would I not share that with the world? It's something to celebrate, folks. It is something to, to celebrate. 